Welcome to the Peak City Podcast. We're your hosts, Shane Reese, Nick Bryant, Alexis Jensen, Leif Jensen, Amber Keister, and I'm Heather Taylor. And welcome everybody to the first story in our series on the history of Apex. If you haven't listened to our last episode, where we interviewed the Holloman brothers, you might want to start there. It will introduce you to the series and our storytellers today. But if you're ready for a great story, Heather, tell the people what they're in for. Death or Resurrection. That is our story today. It's the story of the 1911 fire in Apex. So take it away, Holloman brothers. We decided just for this first time, we should tell the story about what Toby and I consider to be the town of Apex's defining moment. I'm going to start us off with a question. All right. And I'm going to throw the question back to you, Warren. What was Apex's public enemy number one from its founding in 1873 until the mid-1920s, say? Well, that's easy. It was the teetotalers at Apex Baptist Church who kept trying to outlaw moonshine in the town, and on the state and national level, the prohibition movement. I know at least half of Apex considered those types of people public enemy number one. That's got to be what you're talking about, right? Well, that will make a very interesting podcast, and I think we'll want to talk about that in some future time. But I was thinking of something else. I can say it in one word, fire. Fire. Fire water. Liquor, yeah. No, not fire water. (laughs) Fire. (laughs) Fire. Uh, Buildings burning down. Fire. Okay. Okay. It, It was so, when you study the history of the town, you keep running into fires. So much so that the an early motto could have been Apex, the peak of big fires. Uh, in 1885, for example, the school for black kids in the town burned down. They had to build another one. In 1895, the school for the white kids in Apex burned down. Except this second school didn't burn down by accident. It was burned down by a disgruntled student. Who, whose daddy just happened to be the chief of police. <laughs> well, that's I think a, it's kind of funny. a story it's we funny can today. talk about, yeah. a future podcast. And then in 1922, the, the school that was built to replace the white school that was burned down, that school burned down. And we should add, personally, that had a silver lining for our family because that was shortly before our dad went to high school. and. By that time, they had school buses, and he drove a school bus all the way from Holloman's Crossroads to Apex and got to attend a relatively new school. Now, the bad news for Toby and me was it was the same school building that we went to, too. So it was pretty old by that time. (laughs) And by the way, you know, the black school burned down a second time as well. That was in 1931. And in my oral history interviews I mentioned earlier, a couple of people I interviewed were there for that fire, and we told those stories in the book as well. But the silver lining for the black community was that was the prompt to build the new Rosenwald School in 1932, which was a wonderful new facility. But anyway, the bottom line is that schools and fires seem to have an affinity for each other. But I think what Toby wants us to talk about is a fire that was even bigger than the school fires. 
That's right. 1873 was when Apex was incorporated. And parenthetically, that means next year we will be having our sesquicentennial celebration. So, uh, as 150 a, years. Yeah, as a, a popular uh, TV show host says, hold that space. When Apex was founded, it was already starting to grow. It was growing rapidly. But then a fire in 1874, just one year later, burned down the Page and Ellington Sashen Blinds factory. It was such a significant fire that the Raleigh Sentinel, which was one of the Raleigh papers of the day, uh, covered the story and said it would have spread to nearby buildings and caused all kinds of trouble, except for the almost superhuman efforts of the local citizens. With the fire extinguished, Apex continued to grow. Then in 1905, there was another fire. It was right downtown. It burned down several of the buildings. I think um, most of the buildings. Yeah, and those the buildings then were, however, rebuilt, a couple of them with brick, and Apex grew even more. But most were rebuilt with wood. Bear that thought in mind. Right, so right. we're starting to see a pattern here. Apex grows, and then it burns down. Apex grows some more, it burns down some more. I think you can see where this is going. Yep, to the Great Fire of 1911. This time it was the Raleigh News and Observer that covered the fire. It was a feature article for them on the day right after it happened. And that day was? June 12, 1911, almost 111 years ago. Right. So I want to just tell the story in brief of that fire. So the Apex citizens went to bed the night of June 11th, nice summer evening. It was a normal night. At 1.15 in the morning, they heard the train whistle blow. Now, as Toby knows, hearing a train whistle blow in the middle of the night is, was just part of living in old Apex. We, we didn't have air conditioning growing up. We left the doors and windows open. Every night at 11.30, just as I fell asleep, the train would wake me up. I, Toby probably remembers the same thing. Oh, absolutely. The 11.30 on, on the nose. So this train whistle, though, was different. It was more like a siren. It wasn't just sort of toot toot. It was... 911 emergency. It was just blowing over and over loud and long. And so people ran to their windows and they looked toward downtown Apex and they saw fire billowing up. So everybody ran, they found buckets and they tried to put out the fire. But in those days, there was no running water. So you had to take a bucket to a well, fill it up, try to throw it on the fire. There were no vehicles to speak of, no fire trucks. On top of all that, it was a very windy night. Well, so how did the fire begin, Warren? It was an accident, unlike that school fire that we mentioned earlier. It's believed to have started in a butcher shop, which was located at the corner of Salem and Chatham, right there where Anna's Pizzeria is today. The butcher's name was Mr. J.W. Jinks. Toby and I went to school with his grandchildren. And the most likely theory or possibility is that he left his cigar burning uh, when he went to bed that night. And it caught his building on fire. And since almost everything was wood, the fire just moved all through downtown Apex. You know, it's not surprising that fires were the bane of Apex in the first 50 years of its existence. But they were a blessing, too. After all, people cooked on iron stoves that they put wood into. Those stoves also heated their homes wood burning in the stove. 
They used candles and kerosene lanterns to help them see at night. They burned their trash in the backyard, and we were even doing that in the 1950s, uh, many years later. Many of the men, like Mr. Jenks, smoked tobacco, cigars, cigarettes, and so you had a lot of people involved with fire on a daily basis. The women were much more ladylike, I would say. They were Southern ladies, and from what we understand, instead of smoking tobacco during that era, they preferred to chew it or to dip the snuff. At least that's what our grandmother did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the point being that fire was a blessing for civilization at that point in time, at the turn of the 20th century, but it was also a necessary evil. And it was a necessary evil because just about every house, every store, every factory building, every outhouse, you name it, was built out of wood. The house, even in our era, most houses were wood. I'll never forget, and I know Toby feels the same way. When we were kids, the house across the street caught fire. Within, it seemed like seconds, I guess it was two or three minutes. The fire was coming out of the windows. It was like exploding. And uh, the house burned down very quickly. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my childhood to see how powerful and dangerous that fire was. And so when I imagine the whole downtown burning, it's just multiplied times 50. I remember, of course, that very well. As In fact, I was the one that told Mama to get off the phone and call the fire department because there was a fire across the street. Anyway, the Raleigh News and Observer had this long article, and that's what we used, and we've actually reprinted it in our book, a long article on the way that the, the townspeople tried to fight the fire. It said that everyone worked like Trojans. Now, I heard that expression as a kid growing up. I don't know how old it is. Maybe it goes all the way back to the Trojans thousands of years ago. But there was, they all worked like Trojans, carrying buckets of water to put out the fire. Even the Raleigh fire chief came out to see what could be done. But when he got out to Apex and looked around, he saw there was no place for the Raleigh fire trucks that were pumper trucks to be able to pump water out of to fight the fire. So he told the fire trucks, don't even bother to come. We, we don't have water. So the fire started there where Anna's pizzeria is today. And logically, as you could imagine, it just headed up that side of Salem Street, catching one building after another on fire. But as I said earlier, it was a windy night. So the fire jumped across the street and caught all the buildings on the other side of the street on fire. And nine buildings were totally destroyed. And then buildings on the periphery of central downtown were also partially destroyed. Most of the stuff inside those buildings was destroyed, like the stock of the stores in the dentist office and the optometrist office, the medical equipment was destroyed, the law library of the town attorney. And that, that's just the material damage. If you think about it, there was a serious psychological damage as well. The News and Observer, to its credit, in this article, this long feature article about it, they talk about the sheer horror of waking up to this conflagration, they call it. And I mean, it's impossible to control. You think it's gonna burn down all the houses as well. Fortunately, it didn't. And you just almost assume that people are gonna die. Fire is a deadly thing. When it was all over and people had started cleaning up, they pulled all the damaged stuff out onto Salem Street 
And they said Salem Street was just one huge, tall pile of garbage. And one other little interesting tidbit that is just a teaser for some future time. The stores in those days kept safes. They kept the money in safes. And all the safes were burned and they were hard to open. But they dragged those out, too, and put them on the side of the garbage pile. So the, the picture of downtown Apex that next day was a big garbage pile and then some burned metal boxes, safes. Now, one of those safes was from the H.C. Olive Mercantile store. H.C. Olive was Apex's first mayor. Right. And that safe was supposed to have had within it all of the town's official documents, or at least that's what the article in the News and Observer said. Yeah. And uh, what do you think might have been in there, brother? Well. It's hard to know. It's possible that the original charter of Apex and its ordinances, the very first ordinances the town ever had, were in there and were lost because, uh, well, they disappeared around that time. And when I went off to college and you went off to college, they, they still, no one had ever found them. Didn't know and, about them. And when Toby was researching the history of the town, they didn't exist. And so by the time of the second edition, when I was working, I had all those documents and they were then where they are today. The Apex town clerk has them locked in a safe in her office. But something really interesting happened between 1911 and 1973. Yep. And that's for another later podcast. But I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it involves Apex's most famous author. It involves a magnificent Julia Montgomery Street. Yes, involves a magnificent Gothic house that no longer exists except on lovely uh, photographs that you Norris House. Yep, and look like the house on the Adams family. Yes, absolutely. And there's a story there. And then there's an old timer by the name of Jesse, and I'm not talking about Jesse James. So that's about all how Apex burned down. But what we haven't talked about were how many casualties there were. Well, first, the good news. No Apex citizens were killed. Three were injured, including uh, Mr. Jesse Norris, who was the owner of the Norris house, that three-story Gothic house that looked like it belonged on the Adams family. He was injured. By the way, Toby and I grew up knowing his daughters and seeing them just about every time we go to downtown Apex. Yeah, but understand we, we didn't date them when we were teenagers they, they they weren't they were his daughters but they were like old enough to be our grandmothers okay yeah <laughs> they were apex's oldest citizens but we did know them and they were yeah, his we daughters we technically we that's true maud and maybell and yeah they were named maud and maybell and they looked just like those <laughs> names sounded yeah uh, i think is a fair description so no uh, one in apex died any any other casualties well the bad news so there was a young man, a good Samaritan, named Graham Herring. He was 20 years old. He lived in the New Hill area. He heard the bad news. He jumped on a moving train that was heading toward Apex, trying to come and help. He fell. He hit his head. He uh, was severely injured, and he lived for two more weeks and then died. So that's a very sad part of the story. The remarkable part of the story is that no one in Apex died of a fire of that magnitude in the middle of the night. One of the things that the News and Observer article stresses is the fact that 
virtually all of these buildings were made out of wood. And now my podcast friends encourage you the next time you drive down Salem Street in Apex, look at the buildings on either side. You'll notice they're all made out of brick. <laughs> and they also look kind of the same. I mean, it's a sim very similar kind of architecture. And the new building that's being built right now uh, at the corner of Salem and Saunders Street is a little bigger version, but it, they've retained the brick motif and so forth. Well, there's a reason for that. And you know the answer to why that's the case. It's because after the Great Fire of 1911, the town fathers, they were all men in those days running the show, they passed a law saying all future building in downtown Apex must be built with brick. And so Apex citizens started rebuilding almost immediately and everything kind of looked the same because they were all built at almost the same within the five years or so. And it filled in that whole area going down from the intersection right downtown towards uh, the Halley Center, say, that was all kind of filled in. In fact, the train depot, which is one of our historical landmarks we're all proud of, that's built out of brick. Why? Because it was built about three years after the Great Fire. Apex had the law, if you're going to build within the business district, you had to build out of brick. So the Seaboard Airline Railroad was required required to build that out of brick. Most all of the other depots that Seaboard built throughout Wake County, with one other exception, were built out of wood. They were cheaply made, but not the Apex Depot. And that's why we have a historical landmark that's so impressive today. It had to be, that was the law. Right. Uh, one, one other thing, the Seaboard Airline Railroad water tank also burned. Now, remember, this is back in and the that day. That says to be a big fire to burn a water tank that's way up in the air. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, not as high as the water towers today, but it burned. And, and back in those days, you had steam engines. The, 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 the locomotives were steam engines. They needed water. And that has something to do with why Apex was founded in the first place. Another story. But they rebuilt that and they rebuilt the water tank much larger. And so from that point on, once that water tank was rebuilt, Apex at least had a place to go to, even though they didn't have plumbing yet in downtown, where they could get larger quantities of water with which to fight a fire. Right. I think one way to kind of bring this story together at the end, I'd like to read a paragraph from the News and Observer feature story about Apex that was published right after the fire. I think it says a lot about Apex's character. It's, the subheading is a progressive town. The town is full of progressive people, and it is the commercial center of the community. By that, they mean Western White County, with a great future before it. The location is ideal, and the town gets its name from the location being situated on an apex. Sure enough, it is high and has good drainage. The town is well laid out and has many streets and ideal building lots. Truly, there is a great future before Wake County's city of Apex. They call it a city. It had a population of 681 people. I looked it up, but it's nice to say nice things about us. My own perspective is that the reason we wanted to tell the story, this fire was an inflection point for the city of Apex. 
if you think about it, I mean, it would have been so easy for the town to die at that point. The entire commercial center had burned down. There were a few commercial buildings on the periphery that survived. The choice was death or resurrection, and the town chose resurrection. I remember in college studying history, there was a famous historian, Arnold Toynbee. He had this theory called the challenge response theory of civilization. He said, at given moments, civilizations, and I would say communities as well, like Apex, face a crisis or a challenge. And either they can kind of cave into it or they can choose to fight it. And Apex was challenged in a big way and it responded in an even bigger way. So the fire was a defining moment for Apex. It was where the citizens of Apex were able to show their best selves. They were resilient, resourceful, optimistic, and hardworking. And as a result of that, Apex adopted a motto, pluck, perseverance, and pain. It was their way of saying 100 years ago, build back better. They built back better with brick rather than wood. And as a result, those brick buildings are with us today. And Apex keeps on growing. Today, Apex has another motto. It's a wonderful motto also, the peak of good living. But back in the day, the first motto, actually there have been several, even in our lifetime, Warren and I can remember several town mottos that (laughs) I see coming into town, a little sign. Um, But back in the first motto in 1911, it was pluck, perseverance, and pain. And interesting conclusion, Raleigh stole that motto from us. That's according to the Raleigh News Observer. Mm -hmm. When they wrote the article, they said, this is the way Apex is. And Raleigh stole or borrowed the motto from Apex. And so we decided we'd follow in the same train and we stole that motto to make the title of our book. That's right. So Warren, anything else on the fire? The News and Observer article said that the citizens of Raleigh, if they just had a fraction of the progressive, resilient spirit of the people of Apex, Raleigh would be a better place. So what an honor to have your motto stolen by the capital of the state. When you're a town of, what did I say, 681. So I think that's kind of cool. So to all of our podcast friends out there in podcast land, we say, stay plucky, our friends. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Warren and Toby, for that fantastic, entertaining, and educational story. I know they've got some other fantastic stories coming up. Amber, what are some of the future stories we have to look forward to? Coming up, we have the story of the notorious Baldwin gang, moonshiners here in Apex. We've got the story of the Civil War ending right here in Apex, and also how Apex schools were desegregated in the 70s. Yeah, some famous people. They were going to tell us about some famous people. Oh, right. And also how Apex got its name. Yeah, so there's lots of good stories ahead of us. So until next time, everybody, stay plucky. Peek-a-boo, peek-a-boo.